following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship, St. Pete, in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Please turn to the book of John, chapter 15, and soon we're going to pick up where we left off last week, John chapter 15, and if there is a title for this morning's message, the title is A Love Worth Dying For, A Love Worth Dying For. And by way of review, in John chapter 15 and verse 13, Jesus says that the greatest expression of love is the laying down of your life for someone else. That you love someone so much that you are willing to die for them. And even as I say that to you, in some minds and, and hearts today, uh, faces come, right? People that you know, that you love so much that you'd be willing to die for them. This is the backdrop to what we're going to read, beginning with verse 18. And before we get there, let me just give you some background information. Jesus is again meeting with his disciples, his hand-picked disciples. These are the last hours of his life on earth. So these are very precious moments that Jesus has with these men who he had spent three years with investing himself into in great intimate fellowship. They walked with Jesus. They ate with Jesus. They were eyewitnesses firsthand to the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus is about ready to go to Gethsemane and then ultimately to the cross. And he's gathered these men. And these disciples were being sent out into a world extremely hostile to their faith. For a matter of fact, in about 30 years, Christians would encounter a bloodthirsty emperor by the name of Nero who would bring a level of cruelty and persecution to the Christian faith that has been unmatched in history. Some believers were condemned to be dressed in animal skins, and they were literally torn apart by dogs. Others, believers, were burned to death as human torches, that provided light for the emperor's garden parties. This is a bloodthirsty man. And these are tumultuous times Jesus is sending these men into. And yet, they held firmly to a love worth dying for. Here's a question for y'all. 
What would it be like if Jesus were here with us this morning, the year 2020 in St. Petersburg, Florida? Relatively balmy. I know it's cold to us, but it's really good weather compared to the rest of the country. We're in Western civilization. We're rich compared to just about everybody else in the world. What if Jesus were here and he addressed us as he did these disciples with the following words? Read with me, beginning with verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. By the way, the word hates in Greek, it means hates. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse. They have no excuse. We have no excuse for their sin. Verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. Verse 26, but when the helper comes... Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Chapter 16, verse 1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Verse 4, but I have said these things to you that when... When their hour comes, in other words, when they're fulfilled, you may remember that I told them to you. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So what if that were Jesus addressing you and me this morning? What could we conclude from what we just read, what he just said. Well, first, one clear conclusion, it's undeniable, is that to be like Jesus, to be like him, means that you will 
underscore highlight, you will experience persecution for your faith. Again, just look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore, he says, the world hates you. Second Timothy Paul, writing to his spiritual son, Paul's in prison, the end of his life as well. And here's what he says in chapter 3 and verse 12. He says, indeed, all, not some, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus may be persecuted, possibly be persecuted. It's not what it says. Will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now the question is, why? Why would we be hated, persecuted by the world, the world system, the society of unbelievers that we are around? The primary reason, again, is found in that same verse, verse 19. Jesus says it, the primary reason that the unbelieving world hates his disciples. He says it's because we are not, and he uses this term, this phrase, we are not of the world. We are not of the world. To be not of the world requires us to be free of worldly influence. It doesn't mean that we don't participate in government or typical social processes, but what it does mean is that this world, for the disciple of Jesus, for the follower of Christ, this world is not our home. Let me say it again, this world, if you are a believer this morning, hear me. This world is not your home. We are strangers, we are aliens, we are passing through. We are not of this world. We don't live for this world. We do not act as the unsaved world does. That's what Jesus means when he says you are not of this world. I have chosen you out of the world in the sense that you're in it, but not of it. And there are at least three reasons, at least three, that I can see in Scripture why we are not of the world. Firstly, we are not slaves to our impulses in sinful natures as we were prior to coming to Christ. Doesn't mean we don't have a sin nature, but we struggle against it. We have a new nature. The Spirit of God dwells in us. 
So we are no longer dominated. We are no longer slaves to those impulses, those sinful desires. Romans 6, 6 says it. Look at it. It says, we know that your old self was crucified with him, with who? With Jesus. Your old sinful self, your sinful nature was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, our sin nature, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. As as I heard Rob say last week, salvation isn't just fire insurance against going to hell. Really, salvation, I could almost summarize it. I mean, there are a lot of words you can use to parallel, but transformation is synonymous with salvation. You are no longer who you once were because of the supernatural work of the Spirit when you repent, when you confess your sin and recognize your need for a savior and you place your faith in Jesus. So that's one reason that we're not of the world. Another reason is that our standard, hear me, our standard for right and wrong is rooted not in popular opinion, not in political correctness, not in majority rule, But our standard for right and wrong is rooted in the character of a holy God. He's our standard for righteousness, for what is right and for what is wrong. He's that standard. Look at Ephesians 5.1. It says, therefore, be imitators of of God as beloved children. Now I might probably not here date myself, but I love basketball, the NBA, and there used to be an ad campaign, I want to be like Mike. Like Mike, I want to be like Mike. Remember that one? Some of you at least. Well, I don't want to be like Mike. I want to be like Jesus. And that should be the heart's cry of every blood-bought saint of God. He is our pursuit. He is not just our standard bearer. He is the standard. He is our home. He is our portion. And what does that look like? Look at 1 Peter 1.13. I'm going to read a little bit more than is on the board behind me. It says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. I love it. Being sober-minded, wake up. Some folk would say woke. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, there's that idea of children again. Remember, we just read that we are children. As beloved children, we should be imitators of God the Father. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 
he's actually saying here, Peter, is that in our old life, our pre-Christ days, that we were spiritually ignorant. We were in the dark. Scripture says we were spiritually dead. But as he who called you, verse 15, is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy. This is God speaking for I am holy. The word holy is a heavy word. The angels cry out, holy, 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 for emphasis in heaven. It is an attribute of God that he wants to share. He shares with us and makes possible through the sacrifice of Jesus for those who believe. Here's what holy essentially means. It means set apart. It actually speaks of Lines of demarcation being drawn, distinguishing what is on one side from what is on the other. To be holy is to be set apart for the Lord. You are distinct. You are different. Dare I say it again, Jesus said it, you are not of this world. Mm. Peter said, he's called you. What has God called me to? We struggle with that, don't we? I'm the calling of God. Lord, what have you called me to do? Well, here's one aspect of that calling. Verse 15, he who called you. And that calling is for every single one of us who refer to Jesus as Lord, who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If you are part of the kingdom of God, if you're a child of God, let me make this clear. You are called to be holy. Distinct. So Jesus is saying, they're going to hate you because you're not a slave to your impulses and sinful natures because your standard for right and wrong is rooted in the character of a holy God. And thirdly, our ultimate loyalty lies not with this fallen world system, but rather you and I, those who are believers, we live to do the will of the Father. First John 2.15 says, Do not love the world. Same author as whom we're reading this morning, John. Or the things in the world. Look what he says. If anyone loves the world. And let me clarify. He's not referring necessarily to people. We're talking about a world system, the values, the ethos of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father, he says, is not in him. Ouch. 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 I've been taught to love the world since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. 
That's what they taught me all through school. Verse 16, for all that is in the world. This is an interesting description. Again, he doesn't mention people. He defines of the world right here, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes. I'm looking, I'm wanting, right? And the pride of life. Pride of life. I'll say it again. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes. Pride of life, it says, it's not from the Father, but from the world. And I love verse 17. And the world is passing away along with with its desires. But whoever does the will of God, hallelujah, abides forever. You want to pursue the world and the world's ways. Those are temporary. In the book of Ecclesiastes, they use the word vanity. It's a bubble that bursts. That's the idea there. It's empty, weightless, fleeing, fleeting. Yet to many in our fallen world, these distinctions are extremely offensive. So much so that Jesus says, They're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. Second Corinthians 2.14, it says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession through us spreads the fragrance. I love this of the knowledge of him everywhere. Verse 15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Verse 16, to one, a fragrance from death to death and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. It says we give off a fragrance. You ever walk into a room where there are flowers into a garden or some home where there's a really good cook like Leanne <clears throat> and you smell that food mm. that's, all that, that's how it is for those of us who are believers it says here to those who are being saved But there's also a response on the other side to those who are rejecting, rebelling, building temples to themselves, worshiping idols. It says we are the aroma of death like a rotting corpse laying in the sun. The flesh is being eaten away and there's a stench, the stench of death. Their own death. Yet Jesus says in verse 20, 
Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. In this hard truth, and I know it's a hard truth this morning, but I got to teach what the Bible says. This hard truth would be ultimately realized in the lives of these men who he's speaking to. Not only was Jesus speaking instructionally to them, he was peering down the corridor of time in revealing with prophetic accuracy what would be the fate for his first disciples, these dear men who he had given himself to. We've got Peter and his older brother, Andrew. Y'all have heard of Peter. Most of y'all have heard of Andrew, his older brother. Both of these disciples were there. Both, history tells us, were crucified as old Ben. Andrew was the first called by Christ to be an apostle. He was originally a disciple of John the Baptist. Andrew was there in the crowd when John the Baptist pointed at Jesus on the banks of the River Jordan and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Andrew chased Jesus down and asked Jesus where he lived. And Jesus answered Andrew, Come and see. And for Andrew, this was the first day of the rest of his life the beginning. Andrew went on to introduce and preach the faith to modern day Turkey, Greece, Macedonia, and outside of what is today Iran. He was crucified, Andrew was, in Greece in the year 61. And tradition tells us that he was tied to an X-shaped cross after being scourged, whipped. But those in the audience attest that he made the cross his pulpit. And he preached the gospel of Jesus to the people who were killing him. For two days before he actually succumbed and died. Peter, his younger brother, was martyred under that Nero I had mentioned earlier in the year 67 A.D. Peter like Jesus, was crucified by nails. But he 
wish to be crucified upside down out of reverence for Jesus and out of his own profound humility. Remember, he had already denied Jesus three times. It wasn't going to happen again. And his wish was granted. The Apostle Peter hung on an upside down cross for his Lord and died. And some say that at the same, on the same day, outside of the walls of Rome, there was another man who died for his faith. This man had been a persecutor of the church, had been a Pharisee, actually presided at the very first martyrdom, the martyrdom of Stephen. But God encountered him, Jesus did, on the road to Damascus. And Saul was transformed. His world was turned right side up. And he became, of course, the Apostle Paul. And there's some record that as Peter hung upside down, Paul on that same day under Nero was beheaded. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Then there's another set of brothers, James and his brother, John. John, whose book we read today, also known as the Sons of Thunder. James was the very first apostle to be martyred. He was a victim of Herod Agrippa, who seized him when he was in Jerusalem in the year 42, and he was beheaded. They say that James, the brother of John, brought the gospel to Spain. Of course, John is the youngest apostle, and he's the only one who was not martyred. However, in the year 95, he was taken prisoner at Ephesus, and he was sent to trial in Rome. He was sentenced to death. He was boiled in oil before the Latin gate, but he was miraculously preserved from burning. Though there are some accounts that he was not spared the pain. This miracle moved the emperor to nullify the death sentence on John and to send him into exile 
and he sent him to a prison island, the Isle of Patmos. And it was while he was on this island that his Lord, our Lord Jesus, came to him in a spectacular vision and gave him a revelation of the end times. And again, we're reading the book of John this morning. He's later freed. He dies in Ephesus in the year 100. John was about 88 or 90 years old, the last apostle standing when he passed into glory. John the Beloved. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. What more Thomas, my namesake, means twin. Remember Thomas doubted in John chapter 20. Record is that Thomas preached the faith in Persia and in India. And in the year 74, the Apostle Thomas, who's unfortunately known as Doubting Thomas, he was stabbed to death in India. But I want to share a story. Back home now 20 years ago, I was at our church. I think I had spoken. A gentleman came out of the audience. He happened to be from India. And he said, your first name, it's Thomas. I said, yeah, that's me. He said, do you know about the Apostle Thomas? I said, well, I think so. I believe. I believe I do. He said, yes, he brought the gospel to my nation. And he told me something that was rather profound that has stood with me even to this day. As you know, India, for the most part, is Hindu. It is a Hindu country. But there is a small patch of India that to this day is Christian. And he, he knew of this. He told me of this. And he said, Tom, Thomas, he said, do you know where that area is? He said, that's where Thomas, the apostle, preached and was martyred. And to this day, in an ocean of Hinduism, there's an island of the Christian faith. Because of Thomas. Let me begin to wrap this up. A couple points in conclusion. If you're with me, please say amen. There's a special place in the kingdom for the persecuted and for those martyred for Jesus in Revelation 6 verses 9 through 11 if you have your Bibles you can look 
It says, when he opened the fifth, fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe. It's amazing. And told to rest a little longer. Look at this. Until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete. Who were to be killed as they themselves had been. This is an amazing peek into glory. These are martyrs in the throne room asking God to mete out judgment and being told to hold on. Here's a white robe. Hold on. There are others who must die like you did. Acts chapter 9 in verse 4. This is the conversion of the Apostle Paul, who, as I said, had been persecuting the early church, presided over the first martyrdom, and he encounters Jesus. He's on his way to Damascus. The Lord literally he's blinded by the light. And here's what the Lord says. It says, in falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my followers? Don't fall asleep on me now. Is that what he said? You sure about that? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. You've heard the verse, whatsoever you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. It's almost as if for each martyr, for everyone persecuted, there's a special connection with Jesus where Jesus says, you're not just persecuting them, you're persecuting me. It's amazing. And there's more, but we just don't have time. The other point I want to bring up to you guys this morning is, lastly, there's a special impartation of the Holy Spirit to those who are persecuted for Christ's sake. A special impartation. In verse 26 and 27, it talks about the helper coming. In verse 27, it says, and you will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. That word witness in Greek is martyrios. It is the very same word we get the word martyr from. Like the Holy Spirit's involved. He empowers, he grants grace to the martyr. Look at First Peter. 4.14, if y'all don't believe me. It says, if you are insulted 
for the name of Christ. You are blessed. Look at this. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That word glory means splendor, majesty. So it's when you and I are insulted or persecuted, the spirit of God rests on us. The spirit of glory, majesty, splendor. A love worth dying for. In the last verse for the morning is Acts 7:55. If you have a Bible, I would like you to turn there. Acts chapter 7. I'll wait because this is extremely important. And I think worth us looking at every eye if possible. The book of Acts is in the New Testament. It's right after the Gospels. I'd been mentioning the stoning, the killing, the martyrdom of Stephen. Stephen is the very first martyr, Christian martyr, recorded in Scripture. The very first, even before the apostles. There was a fellow named Stephen, and his story is there, the story of his martyrdom in Acts chapter 7. And of course, Saul is present. It says they bring those who are participating in this murder. They bring their cloaks and they lay them at the feet of someone by the name of Saul. Indicating that he probably was overseeing this martyrdom. And we know Saul becomes Paul because Jesus encounters him. And Paul brings the gospel to the Gentiles, which is pretty amazing. We're learning about that on Tuesdays at our Bible study. We're working through the book of Galatians. But this is amazing. I want to draw our attention to it. It says in verse 55, referring to Stephen amazing it says but he Stephen full of the Holy Spirit he's being pummeled bloodthirst bloodlust violence all around him directed toward him He's full of the Holy Spirit. Says he gazed into heaven and he saw, there's that word again, the glory of God. But this next part, it's powerful. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God the Father. Everywhere else in Scripture, when we get that peek into heaven, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Here, 
the very first martyrdom, the very first Christian who gives up the ghost, Jesus. is standing. I wonder if he stands for you and I when we are willing when we love them enough that we're willing to forsake everything, take up the cross, follow him, even if it means that the world is going to hate us. I double-checked in closing verified this reputable organization's plural each day in this world. Eleven of our brothers and sisters, Christians, are killed for their faith. A love worth dying for. By the end of the day today, there'll be eleven Saints in glory who are willing to love and demonstrate their love through giving up everything. You know, it makes me feel like when I'm worried about whether I have enough time or I can walk away from the TV for 10 minutes or put down my phone or my job or I'm tired. Not to guilt anybody because I don't want to be, I'm not the Holy Spirit. In North Korea, Christians are considered hostile elements to be eradicated. In Afghanistan, Christianity is not permitted to exist. In Somalia, Christians are considered, and I quote, high-value targets. In Iran, it's illegal to convert to the Christian faith. It's illegal to preach. You may lose your life. Christians right now are imprisoned And they're dying in shipping containers of starvation and exposure to the heat where they're being rounded up in Eritrea. And the list goes on. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, 
they will also persecute you. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.